I'm back again. Uh, yes, thank you for understanding over my little break that I took. I just wanted to take a little while to figure out how I was going to wrap up writing my book. I think I told you that already, right? But if you're just joining me now, I did take a few weeks off to finish writing my new book that's coming out. It's called The Six Figure Songwriting Coach, Fulfillment and Mentoring the Next Generation of Songwriters. And yeah, boy, did that time off come in handy because I mean, it wasn't really time off. I was working the whole time, Uh, but I have been busy writing that book. Um, I ended up giving it out to, I put a call out on my mailing list to anyone who wanted to read it early. And for the first, you know, few artists that reached out, I gave them a copy early and have been getting great feedback. Um, Not just feedback that is saying the book is great, meaning great feedback, but great feedback that has helped me make the book even better. Um, So yeah, I can't wait to get it out and show any music artist out there that, you know, it is possible to earn a full-time income from um, songwriting coaching, even if you're not a world-famous music artist and you don't have to give up your music career to be able to do it. Um, It's very cool. I'm very excited for the potential of this book. And then I'll go back to writing More Than a Music Artist, which is my legacy book, right? It's going to be the best thing I've ever done. Um, But this book will give you something to read in the meantime. But yes, it has been fantastic writing this book. It's uh, been really interesting because a lot of people think that, you know, the book's called The Six Figure Songwriting Coach and thinking that that's like some unattainable goal that's like only achievable by like, you know, the smallest percentages. But the truth is, is like anyone can earn a six figure income if you position yourself right from the beginning, which isn't that hard to do. And this book's going to give you the step-by-step process to do that. And it's finished now. So um, yeah, as far as like timeline goes by the next I Am Northman episode, I'll probably be busy uh, recording the audiobook for that. And then it should be out. I was hoping to get it out this year, but uh, you know how quick time goes, it might be out early next year. But um, yeah, regardless, keep your eye out for that. Anyway, in today's episode, I want to give you a little, uh, a, a, one of the real talk episodes I did for the I Am Northbound Inner Circle at IamNorthbound.com and show you uh, just a really interesting topic that I feel personally, if I can toot my own horn. Um, it's not really me, it's science <laughs> and psychology, but still, um, I do think this episode's valuable. And it's talking about how curiosity should be the driving emotion uh, or at least the intended emotional driver behind everything you create. A lot of people just create content for the sake of releasing it out into the world just to get content out there. But it's different when you're actually creating content with the intent of trying to drive curiosity. Do you understand? It's a little bit different. But if you can create content that makes people curious, that'll be what makes them want to find out more and that will make them do things by themselves. I don't want to give you the episode in this little intro. But, you know, there's a difference between saying to someone, hey, can you please go do this when they're not motivated versus not even telling them what to do, um, but they'll want to go find the answer themselves because curiosity brings us, uh, gives us an itch that we just long to scratch. So anyway, check this episode out. Let me know what you think. And uh, yeah, I can't, um, I can't say how happy I am to be back to uh, regular scheduled programming. The main driver of everything you create should be curiosity. Okay. This is something that a lot of people don't really consider. And uh, if you don't, you're going to make your life so much harder than it needs to be. I've talked about in the past, and um, I'm not assuming that everyone here has listened to every Real Talk episode, but if you want to go and check it out, you should. I can't even remember what episode it was, but it was about how everything you create just needs to get people to take that next step. I use a email as a uh, example, you know, as an example of what I should do as an example of that. Right. So let me just explain that quickly. So a lot of people, when you, uh, you might see in your email inbox, a lot of people, when they send their marketing emails out, make a huge mistake of doing something like uh, putting 
you know, irrelevant content in the subject of the email, or at least content that doesn't align with the primary purpose of a subject of an email, uh, or what it should do. And what I mean by this is, is that you might see an email that's like 20% turn off tonight only. Like that is the wrong way to advertise a market. Yet so many huge companies, their marketing teams or people who are responsible for their email newsletter, at least will make that stupid mistake. The whole purpose of an email uh, subject is not to sell the product or sell the customer. It's purely to get people to open the email. That's it. Okay. That's it. That's all that step needs to do. Then once you're in the email itself, the job is to not sell you on purchasing the product. It's to, I mean, you can do that. You could kind of do it in the body of the email, depending on how your sales funnel set up. But most of the time it's to provide enough information that makes people want to go to the sales page and then read the sales page and be sold on the sales page. Then they put them, the whole idea of the sales page is to get people to put their payment information in. Then if there's any upsells, those pages are designed to make people want to click the button to add to their order. Now, when money is involved, people seem to understand this because they're like, oh, that's the purpose. That's what's driving me. But people seem to forget it when money isn't involved and it's just a click that you're trying to get as the conversion rather than a sale. Uh, there's no one would ever on a OTO, like a one-time offer page, be trying to like get you to um, be talking about what's going to be like join our Facebook group if like which would you might put on the uh, thank you page once their orders or order confirmation. So like that you would never do that. And people wouldn't make that mistake because money's involved yet. People will forget it for every other type of content. But when you go and look at the whole chain of the whole process, what is the driving emotion through the whole thing? Well, spoiler alert, I've already told you it's curiosity. The subject line makes you curious to open the email. The email makes you curious to learn more about the information. Uh, so more information about the service or product they're trying to get you to purchase uh, products on the other page product. Yeah. So then you go to that page and then the sales page, even though it's asking for payment information, it should try to make you curious enough to buy it so that you can see if this product is going to meet your needs. Um, a lot of the times we'll be excited, but we're not usually excited and satisfied at the same time. We're excited with that itch that needs to be scratched. You want the product to arrive or to get whatever you've ordered, um, so that you can actually like see if it will do what you want it to do. So it's an anticipation, it's an excitement, it's a curiosity, right? And then on the uh, OTO page for any one-time offers they're trying to give you just by upsells on your order, they're going to be trying to hit you with as much as they can to, again, they should be trying to encourage your curiosity to see that this product is going to work for you as well. Now, curiosity drives everything, yet music artists seem to forget this. And what they'll do is, is that on their listen path, trying to move people toward becoming true fans, they'll get behind them and try to force them down. And they'll like tear up at the ground and like tear the ground up, like with their like feet trying to like push as hard as they can. Yet their listener will meet them with equal resistance and just dig their heels in, right? Because it's Newton's third law. The more you try to force someone to do something, the more resistance you're going to be met, met, met sorry, with in return. This explains why so many music artists are saying things like, I have no idea. No matter how hard I try, people won't listen to my music. It's like, that's how it works. <laughs> you shouldn't try that hard. Uh, that's not the, the more forced you ex, like, uh, express, the more force you will receive as a result of that. So silly. Express, is that the right word? The exhibit? I don't know, whatever. So you need to uh, change your approach, obviously. Amateurs will stand behind their fan base and push, try to attempt to push them to become more committed and do things like forcing your music down their throats, forcing content that's irrelevant to a 
upon an uninterested audience um, or an, an less like a non-compatible audience with your movement. Yet professionals or masters of persuasion will stand at the end of their listen path and just have set a path that builds almost like a trail of breadcrumbs that it's pure intention. And the only focus is to stoke curiosity to get them to take their next step forward. Curiosity drives action. So everything you create needs to align with people's inbuilt expectations of whatever it may be specific to them based on what your individual you know movement is and where you're trying to bring people. And then it needs to encourage their curiosity to make them want to step forward and move to that next step. Do you know what I mean? So um, the reason that this is true is because back in, uh, I think the fifties, there was research done in which they hooked up electrodes to the nucleus accumbens, which is a section of the brain in lab rats. And what they did was just give the rats a button that when they pressed it, essentially um, sent electrical impulses to that part of the brain. And they believed at the time that they had isolated the pleasure center of the brain. So the part of the brain that, kind of uh is utilized or at least electrical activity is you know within it when a pleasure is um felt by the person so they're thinking that essentially to simplify that when a rat presses button they thought the rats felt uh pleasure um and they did in a way right but they thought that was the pleasure center like the path that comes when we receive something pleasurable. Um, and it's funny because the rats would actually go without food and water to continue pressing that button. And even more so than that, they put down a painful electrical grid that when you stood on it, it was painful and the rats, it didn't deter the rats from pressing the button. The rats just kept pushing it. Isn't that crazy? And then you think to yourself, okay, well that's in lab rats. How would humans respond? Well, there's a very unethical study done in the seventies in which people were trying to find if they can do the same thing to humans to essentially from what I've seen, because I remember reading and going, I don't even want to like reference that in my book because it's so unethical, but from memory could be wrong here, but it was researchers trying to see if they could make people like not be gay, which is so dumb. Anyway, they uh, hooked up these electrodes to these people's brain to see if they could find the same thing. And on that study, whether it was that study or something related, the people that were given the button had to be physically restrained to take the button off them. They would not give them up. Isn't that crazy? And they also found that um, several people would continue pressing the button even when the machine was turned off. Isn't that just insane? It's like people become obsessive with lighting this part of their brain up. It goes to show how powerful this factor is. And what's really interesting about it is that they, as I said, thought it was the section of the brain that uh, worked whenever a payload was received, like something pleasurable. Like for example, if you're on a slot machine, it would be when you won or if you, after the reels stopped annoyingly spinning, they thought that you would win money. And that's when the nucleus accumbens would, this powerful part of the brain would, uh, light up resulting in this type of behavior. That's how addictive that sensation is. But the truth is, is that we'll addictive for humans and rats <laughs> at least. Um, but yeah, so essentially what they do is essentially found, since they found, sorry, that, uh, it wasn't the payload for the reward of that, that where, that when that part of the brain lit up, it was in, when we were uh, are into, in anticipation of a reward. Okay. So it wasn't when the annoying reels were spinning, so to speak, the reels were what made that part of our brain light up, which went to show that people are more satisfied by anticipation or receive more pleasure from anticipation than they do from receiving the reward. So 
people on slot machines, you think they're sitting down to win, but they care more about the real spinning. Or if you're poker machines in Australia, like the digital ones, um, than they do when they actually win money. It's the anticipation of what it could be. Now, this kind of, I think, leans into the zero is infinity principle, which is one is one, two is two, three is three. Any number equals the same number, but zero equals infinity. It can be anything. Um, it's a crazy principle that since I figured out, I just think about it all the time and I implement it in my life all the time. Doing nothing could be doing anything. You know what I mean? If you don't respond to a situation, you could be uh, like, there is no concrete response that you gave. So it could be anything, um, stuff like that. But also with the anticipation, if zero is infinity, there's infinite possibilities of what it could be. But when you win and you win $10, great. You won $10, right? Well, it's only $10 because it's limited to $10. But when the reels are spinning, what could it be? It could be a million dollars. I don't know if they even pay out a million dollars. I'm not much of a gambler, um, but still it could be like a hundred thousand dollars. I've seen some of the jackpots be that high. So it could be anything. Um, but then again, if you win the hundred thousand dollars, I mean, yeah, there's obviously the reward is high enough at that point that you'll be incredibly satisfied, but that doesn't mean that you'll never go on slot machines again. That's why people end up winning heaps of money than losing it again. So curiosity leads to anticipation, which leads to positive feedback loops and dopamine, um, system kind of like, uh, like, how would you explain like a pipeline for it? Like a a conduit, something that repeats to perpetually kind of cycle through itself that can be engineered on your side to kind of utilize that powerful section of your listener's brain, but in an ethical way, not trying to like take their money in unfair um, slot machines. It's really funny because in Australia we have poker machines, which we call pokies that you don't actually play poker on. When I went to America, there are actual poker machines that you play poker on, which is strange. But in Australia we have pokies, which are like digital slot machines. And, uh, my stepdad actually used to service them for the clubs and RSLs that essentially they're just where the poker machines are that we don't really, we have them in like normal clubs rather than like specifically in casinos, but they are in casinos too. But he uh, had to service them for the clubs. And by law, the legal lowest amount that they could lower it to was that it paid out 20 cents for every dollar put into it. And he said to me, how many of them do you think went any higher than the absolutely lowest legal required amount? He's like, none of them. They all went to 20 cents. So statistically speaking, for every dollar you put in, you get 20 cents back, which is crazy. Yet so many people, even knowing that still spend all their money gambling. Um, but you're going to do it ethically. You're not going to do it like slot machines. Okay. But at least uh, like, hopefully now you understand now why curiosity is such a big driver and why you should uh, focus so hard on trying to create content that actually works on kind of like feeling that inbuilt desire that we humans have, because that part of our brain is incredibly powerful, especially for driving action. And as I said, instead of being behind them, trying to push them, you're now on the other side, providing these breadcrumbs or bricks to your listen path that are carefully designed with one intention, which is to build curiosity. Okay. Now, if you're able to do that, people will step forward towards you and continue moving down the listen path themselves. You won't even need to like tell them to do much because they'll continually seek out more and more of your content because it's that anticipation of, I connect with this message. It, you know, stuff that like about me that, um, I thought like none of my friends understand or my family might not understand, but you're similar. You've been through it. I want more like that. I'm curious. I want to find more. Now the answer to the way to create content that stokes curiosity is not through clickbait. Okay. That's paper thin tacky, dumb, stupid strategy. And trust me, when people see a clickbait headline, people can really identify them now. But because I think 
haven't seen studies to back this up, but this is my guess that because the anticipation would be the same uh, as it would, but it would be like quite high because clickbait headlines make things out to be too good to be uh, true. They will go in there, um, make it out to be too good to be true. Sorry. So they'll go in and be like, this is going to be amazing. They go in and be like, this is going to be the sickest thing ever. I can't wait. And then when they see that they've been deceived, it's like the reverse. They're like, oh, well, now I don't want to look at any of that stuff because it was like, it, it doesn't add any further anticipations uh, in their like uh, feedback loop. And it's just like dumb. So anyway, I'm sure you've, I don't even need to explain that because you've probably been disappointed by clickbait in the past, but you don't develop curiosity by using clickbait. You use curiosity. Uh, so you, you, you generate curiosity by creating some form of content that is actually going to stoke the internal desire of your listener and what they're looking for. As I said before, you need to find the movement like your, so the core message of your movement, uh, and, and then communicate that message to people in a way that stokes their curiosity, but thinking about it in a micro level as well. Remember I said at the start of this episode about the subject line of an email address, you're not trying to if you, if your eventual goal is to get people to listen to your music, it's not, and you're going to do it just to keep it simple. As far as examples go, even though this probably be, won't be how you will actually implement it. And you want to do it through an email, uh, list, don't be like in your single, uh, sorry, in your um, subject line, be saying new single out tonight. Like who cares, right? It's just music at that point. If you're saying a new single, it doesn't matter. You know how good the song is, but they don't yet. So you're going to have to transition them and get them to that point. And each individual step, subject line to email um, itself, to clicking through, to listening to the music or to go to another page to read more about it before they do. Remember every step you add will lower your conversion rate on the at the final step of your you know funnel but regardless if that's how you do it each one just needs to play its part and over that process is how you eventually step people closer and closer toward doing what you're asking them to do and if it's music and you know it's great you like you fill them in about that over the course of the process not just in the first opportunity you get a lot of people are just so desperate for attention that uh sorry to communicate well when they get attention i should say um because that other one made a different point uh that they'll be like i've got your attention oh quick listen to my new music and then they blow it because the person on the other end doesn't care but if you hit him with a message just like have you ever felt like this that's a great subject line whatever this may be has to be what they're specifically going through or what your song is written about too and then in the subject line, uh, sorry, in the actual email body itself, you'd be like, yeah, I mean, I went through that too. Here's a little bit of a story, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I've written this song, like it's going to be the soundtrack to you finding relief or feeling better or your life getting better or whatever, or just being able to connect with someone or not feel so alone and feel like, you, you know, that you're not the only one going through issues. Right. And then that'll be enough for them to go, damn, I'm interested in this now and they'll check it out. Right. So you have to think about every touch point of everything you're asking people to do and how it looks. Now you can zoom in on this on a super micro level. Okay. Don't just see Instagram caption as one touch point. The start of your Instagram caption matters more than the rest of it. You have to grab attention then. So that's the first touch point. You're just getting them reading. Then once they're reading, what do you transition them to next? The next touch point, then the next touch point. And that might be where you say, links in my bio if you want to check out if you're talking about a new song but then obviously the post you put up if it's a feed post i'm just using randomly thought of examples here uh that is the actual very first touch point it's the thing that's going to capture their attention first so how do you do that once you break down each individual piece of content this way you'll start to get much better results out of what you do now i know this might sound like oh it's just so much work it really isn't once you start 
getting the hang of this whole process. Uh, now, I mean, all you gotta do is be like, what's the point if I'm writing an email, what's the point of my subject line? Well, it's to get people to open the email. So how do I use a headline that is going to get people's attention enough for them to be curious enough to want to see more? And then you go, great. I just have to write a curiosity provoking headline. And, um, I try to do this. If you look at any of my emails, I deliberately create email subject lines that will result in people opening my email. If I put in the, um, like I put an email out recently about the six figure songwriting coach program. And I think the subject line, I can't remember it exactly, but knowing how I think I could probably guess it was something like how to earn six figures from songwriting or something like that. And that's super interesting. If I was like, Hey, I'm looking for new, uh, positions open for my closed beta program, uh, for a song, for the songwriting course, like people wouldn't open that email because it tells them already what the email is about. And they all make a decision based off one single description of it and their own, like filling in of it, I guess, of what it may be rather than letting you describe the offer to them. So you only want to get them to do one step at a time. You only want to get them to click on it, right. Or to open the email so that you can sell them your way on what you're trying to get them to do and not make them go, well, it's probably going to be this. And if you had an opportunity to explain it, that objection might've been removed. So anyway, I could talk about this forever. It's been a long episode already, but, um, realistically, just be trying to think of what is the purpose of everything you do. And after a while, you'll start to get good at it and naturally just write in a way that f- gets curiosity. Find, well, first of all, finds the message of what, like the true, the true core of what you're trying to promote and we're trying to get through to people, even if it's just an Instagram post. And then you'll be like, cool, well, I know what the message of this post is and I know how to communicate it now. So I'll write something at the start that'll build curiosity to get them to read the rest of the caption. Then the next part is to lead them to the next step. And then when they do that, they go to the next one. But curiosity is your biggest driver. People need to feel like they're in anticipation of receiving something great in order to perform actions. And that will be what drives people standing behind them and trying to force people to do things does not work. So stop trying it instead, stand on the other side and throw curiosity provoking breadcrumbs at them and see if they'll follow your trail to lead back to where you're trying to get them to. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of I Am Northbound. If you want more episodes of advanced music marketing that dives into even crazier stuff than what you just heard, then go to IamNorthbound.com and join the I Am Northbound inner circle. Every single week, you're going to get access to a ton of content that talks about things that other people just aren't talking about. We dive into advanced music marketing strategies, psychology and its application to advertising, persuasion and scientific research. Trust me, this stuff is information you cannot get anywhere else and will give you the upper hand in growing your audience and getting your music heard. Thank you.